Thank you for tuning in to our podcast, Four Seas Around the World. This is our chance to hear from our four Charlies at different locations across the globe. A chance to hear about the different missions at each location. And a way to give our four Charlies a voice to discuss their unique roles at, across the AFMS. I'm Master Sergeant Jonathan Becker, Flight Chief at Whiteman Air Force Base Mental Health Clinic. And I'm Master Sergeant Vanessa Buecher, Flight Chief at Joint Base Anacostia Bowling Mental Health Clinic. Listen in as we get to hear stories about how our fellow four Charlies came into the career field, the different challenges they have overcome, and their goals on where they want their career to take them. We want to ensure people are able to get a better picture for how operations are at different locations and to also have four Charlies discuss some of the very unique missions out there to include SEER, different embedded positions, working at the brig, working with the MTIs, and other missions that are available to us in our career field. What we won't be doing is discussing by name issues with other members in our career fields, enlisted, off, officer, or civilian. And we will not be swapping stories about patients. So please tune in and hear about our four Charlie experiences. And let us know if you have any feedback for us, the hosts, or our guests. Thank you again for tuning in. Enjoy the show. All right, I think we got everything squared away. We're back this week with uh, Sergeant Nicole Cohorst, who's out at Davis Mothin, correct, ma'am? Yes, sir. Awesome. And we, we joked a little bit, but what time is it there? You guys are on Pacific time, right? Oh, we're on Arizona time. <laughs> Arizona, that's what it is. It's Arizona time. It's 11.13. Well, I'm, you guys don't play by the daylight savings time nope. rules, right? Yeah, how confusing does that get then? Like half through the year, you're like, okay, what am I mountain time? Am I Pacific? Or I just look at the phone. I have family in California and in New York. And so it gets a little tricky when I'm trying to call. I don't know if we're three hours behind or two hours ahead. It's, it gets confusing. Be honest. Have you used that excuse to get out of telephone conference calls? I have. Not in our career field, of course not, but <laughs> I have. It's awesome. That's hilarious. Well, let's, let's jump right into it. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking time out of your Sunday to, to talk with us. Um, but tell us wh where you're from, what, you know, kids, family, all of it. Let's jump right into it. Okay. So we have like three hours, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. So I was born in Rochester, New York, so upstate New York, um, and to Stockton, California when I was one, and I lived there until I was and moved back to Rochester, New York, um, and that's where I joined the military out of. I joined in 2009, October, and in for almost 11 years. Um, I actually was a pupil, and uh, in basic training, I broke my hip and got put on medical hold. So I was in basic training for six months. Oh, wow. and yeah, so I lost my job, obviously, because I couldn't fill that um, tech school position and, and put mental health as my number one because it seemed interesting and got it. And I they thank my lucky stars that I <laughs> broke my hip because <laughs> I've heard fairly boring and mental health has been 
a wild ride and a very good one. So I'm grateful. Um, I got married in 2012. I'm 2010. Um, and we were an FTAC marriage. All right. <laughs> I've got three kids. I have a 11 year old stepson. He'll be 12 in November. I have an eight year old eight on September 11th. And then I have a six year old daughter. Um, and they all live in Illinois right now while I'm uh, my husband took a guard position there um, and with COVID it just made more sense for the kids to go be and do school there so bachelorette life in Arizona right now <laughs> <laughs> and that's oh sorry I was stationed we met in FTAC at Scott's bases in my 11 years um, I was and I in October I'll be here for five years at Davis Monson that's cool. it <laughs> Wait, so, have you deployed or done anything outside the clinic or has it yeah. just been straight clinic life I deploy um in 2018 that was my first deployment uh to uh, an eight-month tour there and then I came back in April of 19 um and then other than every position there is to fill in mental health but nothing outside of the flight yet and I'm I'm sorry. How long have, were, have you been at Davis Monthan for? I got here in October of 2000, so it's coming up in five years. So you've been there for a while. Yeah. Oh, wow. I got an assignment uh, in when was it? When I got back from my deployment, I had been applying for AS positions, mm -hmm. uh, but I had not hit my four-year mark on base or on Davis Monthan, and so I think that my eligibility so um i had applied for i wa really wanted to do the um embedded mti position mm -hmm. um and then i wanted to do the special Antonio. Mm -hmm. um and so those two i applied for and then um and when i got back from my deployment i failed first pt test and it made me ineligible for those jobs so um I went through everything I and my PT test, and as soon as I got my um, code lifted off my, which by that time my husband, we had already decided where my husband was going to get out and was going to try Alice Chase. As soon as the code got lifted, I got the job, but it was eight months later. Oh man! We did have an assignment to the Special Warfare in San Antonio, which I would have loved that, but it didn't mesh time so I ended up actually getting it removed um but yeah other than that I have done nothing outside of the <laughs> which I mean that's just I mean there's nothing wrong with that that's just how the career has kind of you know shaped up and how you've kind of been to where it doesn't mean you haven't been successful by any means you said you've been in for 11 years and you've got the rocker up top so I I think you're doing really oh, no, well for not yet not yet nope I tested, I, I did, I fast burned first and then I've kind of stalled with, I've tested twice and haven't made it, but. Oh, gotcha. I'm just speaking yeah. of existence. That's what it is. Oh yeah. That's <laughs> yes, I speak it. <laughs> <laughs> so if, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you, how was that with the PT failure and kind of it messing with the, with the jobs that you wanted to do? I mean, how did you manage that? It 
was, I think, um, and we this conversation, and I don't know if the conversation will go that way, but as far as like the fast burning thing, um, always been like a hard charger. And I say that that was probably the most humbling that I've ever gone through in my career. Um, so I got, I, I had filled, before I deployed, I had filled in as the flight chief for about a year here. Um, our master sergeant was deployed um, and then she was filling in. So I, I pretty much as a newer tech sergeant filled in for the flight chief position on for about a year. Um, and so I was work, 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 everything with work. And it was, we were doing great. I'd never noticed that I was burning myself out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went on the deployment, Hey, this is going to be a change of pace, something different outside of the clinic. Um, give me a chance to like, focus on myself because, you know, with kids and everything, it makes it really hard. Um, and so deployed, I deployed to LUD, which is, if anybody's ever been there, <laughs> is the exact same as a garrison <laughs> mental health clinic. Yeah. It was not, um. Uh, it was a great experience. I, I worked with probably the best that I've ever worked with there. Um, and, but it was just very much the same stuff over again. And so, but away from my kids for eight months, Man. six months versus eight months is like a huge deal. And so when I got home, I was doing exactly what we preach to people with reintegration every everything you can think of when it comes to like what we people to look out for with reintegration I completely ignored it I I struggled really hard coming back because I came back and it was hit the ground running like you hey you've been gone for eight months we have no master sergeant at that time um, the person who was filling in the flight chief got picked up to do an embedded position and so he PCA'd so it was it felt like everything was on my shoulders again um and most of it was my own that i was putting on myself i didn't speak up and say anything um and so i well fitness was the last thing i've always been i always did not like running was always my down i could do push-ups sit-ups everything else perfectly fine uh but i've always had to work a little harder to get the run but i've never failed a team um and yeah i just knew when my pt was going to be and i completely ignored it and i figured in my head hey i'm i've been fine my entire career i've been able to kind of wing it like i'll be fine all it was not fine i failed by like a minute um and that was devastating because at the time i was the flight chief and when you fail a piece flight not very sympathetic for that so I kind of got the book thrown at me yeah um, which in turn made it worse so just I kind of went into a little hole at that time isolated and then finally I was like you know what I gotta back up and my team here at the clinic was my lifesaver they went out with me running every morning they forced me to be to like tell them when I was struggling and they really rallied around me. And when I passed, it was a huge deal. Um, and I got the assignment and it was just everything kind of spiraling. But I would, I would, looking back on it, it, it sucked. But 
it was definitely the most humbling thing I've ever experienced and it allowed me to grow knowing that I needed to pace my it was putting too much pressure not will help me um and that I was gonna burn out one way or another I'm glad it was just a PT test and not something else so now that you that you weren't taking care of yourself um what do you do now to make sure that you don't fall back in where maybe you're not working out or you're not ready for a PC test or something else happened? Uh, um, like I said, when the team kind of rallied around me, I had a lot of um, my peers and airmen going to the gym with me. I never weight lifted before or really anything in the gym. Um, and so when I was getting ready for that PT test, started going to the gym, I started lifting weights and that got me into the habit of just continuing that so now I go to the I have not been good this past week so listen to this and they're gonna say you're lying <laughs> so I haven't been good this past week, but we go to the gym every morning um it's better so we we do creative uh creative cardio not necessarily running outside because it is outside <laughs> um but I I've just made sure that I build it in and I feel so better um, 30 kicked my butt. As soon as I turned 30, I did not expect to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to have all this. Yeah. I out. And so I, it, I think that helped too. I had always been a skinny person and never had to worry about what I eat. And when I, that quickly stopped. And so it's made me be more accountable. I watch what I eat. I, um, and I work with other people. I just don't do things on my own anymore. So it's helped with not just the physical fitness, but even how I feel being separated. It really helps with that. Yeah. yeah I think our career field, it's like, thank you for that story because I think our career field, we are, you, we, I see it across the, talk to other people or you see it in yourself or whatever, but um, we're like the worst people to like throw out the advice and stare in brief and go through you know like <laughs> teach the stuff and teach reintegration and we are the we're following our own message <laughs> yep 100% <laughs> so um so with the deed you said it was just kind of like working in a regular mental health clinic did you get to do anything like unique while you were in country or anything like that? Um, we, I think the coolest thing we did, um, I mean, we actually, we did a lot of cool stuff. Never mind, I won't say that. Um, <laughs> of, uh, where I, my brain is not, funk. I was up very early this morning. Um, a lot of other countries, I don't remember what it's called. Oh, uh, Coalition Forces. Mm -hmm. And um, we, did we started our team started it was called a boot camp um we weren't getting a lot of participation with our classes and so we kind of read it and changed the times we changed the format um, to try and increase people using it and the British folks had a mental health person like a medic that was a little bit of mental healthy and a chaplain um and they came across one of our flyers and they came into our and were really interested in sitting in on these classes 
And so they would come every week and sit in on the different briefings that we had. Um, and then to come out and then they started asking us to go onto their compound, teaching them stuff. And they, it was the most interesting experience I've ever had because I don't think that mental health is a much of a focus in that country as it is in ours. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the basic stuff that you would think most people in the military would hear because we do a hundred briefings on suicide and, and stress management and resiliency pillars, blah, blah, we get inundated with that. They not. And so they were like school kids learning stuff that they've never learned before. And it was, it was so cool to see because we had like sixes. I don't remember if we're in their military, but I mean, big, in the military that have been in for a long time that were sitting there taking notes and a million like basic suicide prevention stuff and how to look for warnings and things like that and so it was really cool and again humbling to kind of branch out and teach those other that you would that you just kind of think are normal for anybody's military but it was cool to see how they operate um but i think that would i think that was probably the cool I got to do like a um, parade with all of the different coalition forces. We all did a parade for, what's the one with the poppies? <laughs> the holiday with the poppies? Is it? The holiday with the poppies. Yeah, the poppies. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? The, the flowers and they pin the poppies. It's like a. Are you, are you talking about Memorial Day? Memorial Like, is it, yeah. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. <laughs> I couldn't think of it. Memorial Day. We did a, um, it, all the, every single country that had military forces there um, gave like 10 people and we did a huge formation and they had this massive, um, ceremony to celebrate Memorial Day. So that was awesome to see. And then lots of concerts. I got to meet DJ Jazzy. So that was pretty oh. cool. <laughs> but I say that it was like working in the mental health normally, but it really, it's not. I mean, for anybody that's going there or anybody who's been there, they know that it's a, it's still an experience. I think more so just the like we still had to do certain trainings. It felt, you kind of felt like, um, especially with how med group leadership over there was, that you were just in a mini clinic somewhere yeah. else. Yeah. So while it felt like it was a garrison, kind of it's been built up, you have all these um, things available to you, but a lot of the stuff still applied, the rules, the training, stuff like that. Yeah. But your mission was definitely very different, right? Oh yeah, definitely. And that, to me, would be very cool to work with other other countries' forces to really, like you said, understand the why behind why you know is the understanding different from mental health? Is it a is it a cultural thing or is it um, just the way that they operate? Is it the thought process? Is it really something that they've already tried and done, or is it something that they have never thought about before? So that's really cool right. that you get to work with those other countries' forces like that. Well, and we had, um, I think the cool thing too is after we started doing those briefings and, 
and their medical folks got better understanding of what we did, we started seeing Brits come in as patients after that, which didn't have any on our books for, because we could, you, there's a tracker there, so you can kind of see what the patient load looked like rotations before you mm -hmm. and I didn't see any coalition forces on like the two rotations that were before us and mm -hmm. we had within I would say a month of us starting that boot camp we had about four active Brit patients that came through um, and and their medical folks got to learn too because we had a patient they wanted to medi back her out of there and we're like hold on <laughs> like there's yeah. there's no concern here she like yeah. what is normal stuff she's coming in for like normal things there's no worry but they just had no grasp on you know how worked or risk levels and stuff like that and so the minute they heard we used to have to give them our notes every time they would come in um but the minute they're like okay we got to get her out of here but to send her back to what you know there was no care at in britain or wherever she was that they they didn't have follow-on care so her best bet was to stay mm -hmm. deployed be able to see us so it's really cool just to see how they work but also to teach them and and hopefully that stuff kind of is back you know and changes a little bit of what they do or their understanding that's awesome so that it's funny that you say that because as you think about it, I just realized that we did talk while you were in the deed because I think I had a patient or something that we were that was coming to you with history or something like that. I can't remember, but now that you're talking about that, I completely forgot that you were in the deed. Um, it's coming full circle now. I'm waiting. <laughs> anyway. So thank you from one hot, one hot location though to an extremely hot location. Yeah, <laughs> I flew back. I flew back in so funny because I took a picture out the plane window when I was flying out of Qatar and then I took a picture flying into um and it looks the exact same <laughs> I was there's no difference here I'm just coming back oh, <laughs> the man. humidity that's the only difference it was so it's so gross I only had to pass through there oh it was so hot there so. I I <laughs> I stepped off the plane at, five, I think it was like five in the morning, and I was so glad to get off there because we were stuck on the, in, I don't remember where, some other place for like six hours. And so we finally flew into Qatar, and I was so glad, and I'm getting off. And the minute I stepped out around, and I was like, and the guy behind me, his glasses completely fogged up. Oh and I was like, what in the world? I said, no. It felt like a shower, a sauna. Yeah, just ugh. it's girl. I when I, again, I, I only had to pass through there to go and in, go into Iraq. And we were mm -hmm. all very happy. Let's <laughs> not here. This is crazy. Um, but in the tran, this was back in two thousand seven. So, but like the transient tents, like June, the air conditioning just stopped working because it just got too hot outside. So yeah. like you woke up and like covered in sweat. <laughs> so gross. And it's so humid and the dirt that's in the air the air quality there is really bad yeah. yeah um but the humidity kind of holds it in the air so it's very like you can taste you can taste oh. it so that i think that's a lot of the reason why the acs don't work too the dust storms yeah. are insane yeah. and it's just so 
let me ask you this what have you seen like i know you know as you progress and rank you get more responsibilities but have you seen a bigger difference in the missions between scott and davis moth and where you've been at yes um and i i don't want this to come off in any way of that i'm saying anything bad about either place because both of them were have taught much scott was the perfect place for me to grow up as an airman yeah. um because we had i have not been there in a long time so anybody at scott don't come for me if this is not the same. <laughs> well it's been when, five I years, went right? there, yeah. when i went through there we had a ton of um airmen and a ton of masters that we had like four masters um a few staff but we had a lot of techs and a lot of providers. So we we would have, you know, that were just mental health providers. They weren't in leadership roles or anything like that. And so to me, that was normal. I do a big clinic. I, for like the first three months, I was shredding paper in the record room and filing <laughs> paperwork away. That's how I learned to be an inman. Um, but I, I, it allowed me to fully learn everything. I got a very, I don't want to say, but in-depth training on how to be a mental health tech. Um, and I think when I first came in, we weren't seeing patients. Um, I, I'm, I don't remember when the shift happened, but I know that we did not triage, we did not do intakes, we didn't do any of that. And so um, I, maybe like six months in is when we started. So when they started doing that, everybody was kind of learning. And so it was, it was really cool. Um, but they also had a ton of money because it's a headquarters space. Oh, yeah. And so I remember I was the, um, the person that did the budget. And so I spent on demos and we sometimes have 20, almost 30 grand to spend a year. It just in the mental health clinic. Oh, wow. And, um, and they let us little A1C Palmer <laughs> manage <laughs> the budget. So, but I remember if, if a keyboard broke or if something broke, we would just go down to the basement to get to systems and we'd grab another one and bring it back up. And so I, I grew up with all of them when I PCS to Davis Monthan in 2015, I like to say that's when I joined the Air Force. Oh, okay. There you go. <laughs> because I, you know, the mission at Scott is different too. It's a headquarters base. It's the Transcom headquarters base, AMC headquarters. Mm -hmm. um, I think, and don't quote me, but I'm pretty sure that they have the most generals that live on base there um, for how small. And um, so it, that was just normal. The, the planes that you would see flying over there was the occasional C-130 and all of those like uh, DV planes. That's mm -hmm. all you would see. And so when I got to DM, me and my husband looked like tourists for the <laughs> probably a year that we lived there because we were yeah. videotaping the a10s like doing their training flights and there were so many planes flying around so cool um but then i came to the clinic and it was way smaller than scott was and so i was like okay you know this is gonna be i was completely wrong um mm -hmm. acc's mission air combat command you know and so they deploy so often that it's just a continuous revolving deployment doors. ANAMs non yes <laughs> yes and well and too I think to think about it is we have a rescue squadron here we have a training um 
we have a training unit for the A10s, but then we also have just the regular A10 unit. Um, C-130s, we have two different C-130s. The boneyard here, so mm -hmm. are all the, which is really cool to see. We have an RPA unit here. We have a bunch of detachments and then where the 12th Air Force headquarters is here. Oh, wow. um, so there's like all these different missions and um, they st seem to send a lot of new airmen here. Like not just from our career field, but just in general across the base. Yeah. I think we see, we either see a lot of folks here with, um, adjustment disorder like they have a hard time adjusting to being here um, or you know we're getting the battle-hardened folks that are coming through towards the end of their career or that just employed so much that they're seeking help here and so we're continuously busy here um, which doesn't really match up with our manning <laughs> and so that's the struggle yeah um, when I, I remember when I first got here they they were like oh you're you're gonna be the um, I went I moved into eight after when I first got here um, and they're like, you'll be in charge of the budget. And I said, okay, like what, how much do we have? And they're like, we don't know. I was like, okay, well the, get me into demos. Oh, we don't have demos here. I was like, demo, what, how? <laughs> so, yeah. Well, the computers didn't work because we're detached from the med group. Oh, and so we gotcha. would have to call systems and they would, okay, what do you want? we'll see if we have enough money for that. Like they don't even give each element or each clinic their own budget. So altogether, I think we had like six grand to spend or something. And it was like money. It, it's different now. ADAPT has their own funding. Um, yeah. But it was nothing like what I had seen before. If something breaks here, it's broken. Good luck. It's broken. You better go. Yeah. <laughs> you go. You go find an empty office and swap out the keyboards so you have something to work with. And you don't tell anyone that it was you. <laughs> no, broken one oh just does rotations throughout the. Clinic. I'm gonna yep. edit that out. <laughs> you know that's not the only place that's like that. Um, <laughs> no, I. I it's it's good though because you know after after going to a few bases and kind of getting a general understanding of the overall process it's funny how each base interprets that process into how they do things so it's just it's kind of funny to me to where now it's just like all right let's let's go here and find out how they do it here because yeah. everybody mm -hmm. has a their own interpretation of the rules unfortunately um well, but going back I, to your adap what, what was the difference between scott and dm was there a lot of was there a lot more dm versus scott or i mean did you did you get to do a lot of uh, adap stuff at scott or no yeah, so I was super lucky. Um, back when I was an airman uh, for the KDAC, so um, usually you do your time in mental health, you show initiative, and we had so many airmen that they had to kind of pick and choose like who was going to rotate through ADAPT. And so usually it was the folks who did that. So during feedbacks, if I was saying, hey, this is the path that I want to go down, so I got to move into ADAPT as an A1C, which was, I was really lucky. Yeah. Um, and so I got my back as a senior airman and um, there at Scott. So I, I had a lot of experience. I had a really good, um, well, I had two, our flight chief and our NCOIC at the time uh, there was probably still to this day, one of the best, well, both of them were the best counselors I've ever worked for in a matter of being able to train under them and learn from them. 
Um, so I, I got, a, again, a lot of time to kind of slow roll it, take my time, figure it out. We weren't super busy. There was, um, I can't remember numbers exactly, but yeah. it, we had yeah. enough to keep me gainfully employed, but not too much to where it was overwhelming. Yeah. Um, DM, it's overwhelming. <laughs> <laughs> I got here and uh, we had four techs working in ADAPT, which to me, uh, that's a lot of techs. Um, especially for how small the place is. And uh, I, I quickly figured out why. Um, and at Scott, the C of ADAPT, uh, she was a master sergeant. She did not hold the caseload. She had maybe like four patients or something that she would see like more difficult ones to allow us to watch. Um, but most of her time was spent supervising us and training. Um, that not here, like they, everything that I've seen, I think now I'm the fifth ADAP tech now. So I have asked to have my schedule decremented so that I can focus on. Um, but when I first came here, it was not. The NCOIC had a caseload and everybody was kind of just running around like chickens with their heads cut oh, off man. and trying to figure it out. Um, and it ebbs and flows. You know, sometimes it's not as busy, but overall we we get a, a very good amount of referrals here do you Is see it, a trend in what your referrals are um we've been looking at just because the wing commander has been really interested in that um it's so not really obviously duis are always gonna i feel like be towards the top and that's because those are usually forced referrals um we've had a lot of drug positives um, but most of what I've seen lately only took over in ADAPT as NCYC in May of this year um, but since I'm here I would say self-referrals has been on the top wow um, and I don't know if it's because of COVID stuff you know, like people are recognizing it's an issue I, I'm not sure why that upticked but we've had a good amount of self-referrals it's probably due to all your guys' awesome outreach efforts. Let's yeah. be honest here. <laughs> that's that's the way we write the bullets, right? <laughs> I, I hope so. If, if we could get out and do outreach, but we yeah. do. Actually, we have really, we don't get to get out and do outreach as much as we'd like just because mm -hmm. of how busy it is. On the flip side, have built such a good relationship with the for sergeants and command teams here Absolutely. that it kind of makes up that you know they they know us by our names they we they come to us if they need us to do commander's call stuff like that so it's a really comfortable working environment and so i think that kind of makes up for us not being able to go up, you know do regular outreach stuff well so going back to kind of your referral trends, I know you said lately it's been a lot of self-referrals. Do you think, is is it just because there's a, I, I guess pre-COVID potentially, um, but because it is a big town that you're at, there is a college there, like there's a lot for, there's a lot of avenues for people to get caught up in maybe the wrong things. Do you think it's something like that? Um. I honestly don't, it's so hard to say like exactly what it is. Everything has been so different mm -hmm. as far as the reason for self-referrals. Um, I, I will say, and maybe they tend to go kind of medical, 
um, a lot of what we have been seeing is people seeking mental health help um, and then recognizing that they have an issue. And so hmm. more so encouragement from their providers to say, hey, maybe you should go to ADAPT if you feel like you need help. So technically they're self-referral, but could also be medical referrals. Um, so I think it's, I, I really, our mental health element here is slammed. Like yeah. we, we have it easy compared to what they see. Um, and, and I'm talking like really high, not just normal run of the mill anxiety, depression, like most of those things were kicking off base or kicking to the MFLAX or yeah. uh, BHOP, but like sick folks. And so I think mostly it's, which is a good thing because people are then seeking help, you know, and so you can't be mad at that. But I think that's where it comes from. I don't, most of them aren't young. So if the college, really plays a role in it we have gotten some from there with yeah. airmen um but usually i'm we're mostly seeing people that have been in for quite a while um maybe close to retirement and that's why they're deciding to come in uh, or yeah or they're being uh told like hey maybe you should see them I, I I really it's hard to say because they're all so different <laughs> do you um when now that you guys are in this COVID ops I mean do you find it more difficult to kind of get the word out I mean how are you guys managing now with all the with with the increase like how are you guys managing your ops during the COVID situation so we um back in March, when everything first kicked off, um, we moved to leave, um, and I happened to be on leave <laughs> right when all that kicked off. Mm -hmm. So I didn't see what transitioned. But when I came back, I was the NCUIC of mental health at the time. Uh, we were just tracking patients, a ton, ton of people calling in for uh, mental health appointments. And so we would just take their names down. We obviously screen them for safety and stuff, take their names down. And we were trying to figure out just how to do follow-ups um, over the phone. And then we moved to split maybe, uh, I don't, not even a month. And then one day it just all went back to normal. Like we started seeing patients in the clinic again. Um, some providers said patients preferred to be, um, to do it telehealth, like if they had, you know, family issues or if they were immunocompromised or anything like that. And so we mm -hmm. kept a list of folks who wanted to, um, but it really only did us for about a month and a half. And that was it. ADAPT, um, I wasn't in ADAPT when it first kicked off. Um, I think they stopped intakes for a little and then we were doing groups and stuff over the phone. Uh, but as soon as we got the go-ahead to start slowly incrementing back into the clinic, they fully opened up at that time. Um, so ADAPT has pretty much been seeing people in person the entire time. We don't do anything over the phone anymore. Um, so it really hasn't, I don't know if that has to do with the fact of like how Arizona really looked at COVID. Because mm -hmm. Arizona, Arizona kind of did their own thing. <laughs> I mean, I guess hopefully they did it well. No, not well. Not <laughs> they well. Kind of ignored, they kind of ignored everything in the beginning. 
Okay. Um, and then, uh, then when people were kind of in an uproar, like saying like, hey, we need to take this seriously, they would, they kind of implemented mass rules, they kind of let things stay open, and then our numbers spiked really bad. And this was around the time that other places were starting to open up again. Um, so I want to say it was maybe, it was right before I went to visit my family. So I think it was in like June. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden they said, okay, we need to shut everything down. And so everything that I've been doing since March, Arizona kind of picked up doing in June. But by that time, kind of already figured out how everything was going to work. And so it didn't really impact our clinic ops. It was more so um, what everything off base was looking like. Like most of the restaurants shut down, gyms shut down, um, full of masks and all that other stuff. But the base had already figured it out. So it really didn't, it didn't change much for us. So asking kind of switching gears and kind of the, the same timeline, um, how, how has your base responded to all the discussions about social injustice and everything that's been going on um, in the news um, with, the, with the police brutality, with how the, hand, you know, the cases, the protest, everything going on? How have you guys kind of managed um, talking to people on base in the community? What, what, what has kind of been going on there? So when the um, George Floyd uh, incident occurred, mm -hmm. um, we came into work and it was my perception of how everything went down. And we've had the conversation at work before was um, our leadership kind of ignored everything. None of it was really addressed in the beginning um, until Chief Wright put out his statement mm -hmm. and then after he put out his statement is when I noticed the conversation started happening um which I mean I guess I could under if it's uncomfortable I, I don't know we within our own clinic were having those conversations the minute that everything happened we mm -hmm. have a we have a really diverse group here in our clinic um even just in terms of like people's political affiliations or whatever, you know, it's very diverse, but everybody here is extremely respect, like has respect for each other. Um, we're able to talk about differences without it turning into anything. And so it was a very natural conversation for our clinic to have, um, but as far as hearing anything from the group, squadron from the wing, um, there really wasn't anything until Chief Wright put it out. And then it just kind of followed the natural order of, I think what every did is they had us do like an RTP. Um, we all had to sit around and answer certain questions. And then the squadron um, commander kind of went around to each group and saw what they were doing um, or each flight, see what they were doing. But that, that one actually felt more awkward um, and mm -hmm. like less natural because we were like, like I said, we're separated from the med group. So yeah. Um, they made us go over to the med group and we had to sit in one of the lobbies, the uh, waiting rooms with our whole flight there um, to have the conversation that we had already really been having. And so, and then, you know, the squadron commander came and kind of awkwardly in the back of the room. Yeah. Um, and so it just didn't, it didn't feel, um, but I don't want to knock it because there might be other flights where that was the only avenue of getting that 
conversation started. So I think it felt awkward for us because we had already been talking about it. Um, and then that was really it. I mean, we haven't heard else after that. Um, again, I think we tend to stay a little more because we're separated. We tend to stay a little more in our flight over here. And so it's been a continuous conversation for us. Um, and the, oh, Tucson. Um, Tucson really didn't do anything until they started, um, they did a protest here in, this was right around the time that they shut everything down. So I wanna say June or July, they, they did a big protest here. Um, and there were some buildings damaged and stuff like that. Not, for the most part, I think everything went very smoothly. It, it, Arizona tends to be a very conservative state. Mm -hmm. um, and so people were kind of worried about like how that was gonna play off if people were gonna clash. Um, a lot of people here are like very pro-military, pro-police uh, and stuff like that. But I didn't really see anything super bad happening. There's still a lot of um, police support and it looked like the police were supporting the protesters as well. And so I think it went very well, at least in Tucson. I'm not sure how it went in Phoenix. I heard there were, um, you know, more damage and a lot of uh, more clashing over in Phoenix. But I think here in Tucson, it went pretty well. And that was a protest regarding like Black Lives Matter or was yes. that more for like, oh, gotcha. Okay, cool. Yeah, it was um, a Black Lives Matter protest and down the, the main strip of Tucson, there's um, where the college is, there's like a lot of bars and stuff on this one main road. And so they went out and they painted the Black Lives Matter in colorful letters. It's really pretty. Oh, nice. um, they did, one thing I like is um, they did a lot of um, cultural and di diverse, diversity um, type of, like, I don't know what to say, not ceremonies, but like programs, even on base, like off base, you'd so, you see a lot of people, um, we actually hear the ADAP team and did a, there's a um, African-American school, one of the first African-American schools to open up in Arizona um, that is now a cultural center. And one, one little, I don't want to say old, one older lady. Um, <laughs> runs Experienced. This, yes, yes. She, she runs this whole school. It's huge. And they have like a big garden and stuff. Um, but it's kind of run down and it's a lot of space for her to keep up on her own. And so she does a lot of fundraising and cultural events there, mm -hmm. but other parts of the building and stuff get neglected. And so we went out and we focused in and we like pulled, we were there. Oh, it was so hot. <laughs> but it, oh, was, it was awesome. We painted the door. We painted their, um, they had a bunch of tables and stuff out there. We pulled weeds and helped them get it a little more cleaned up and, as people were driving by, it's in a very, right now, I would say like gentrified um, community. Okay. There's like a lot of like restaurants and um, more white people in that community now than there was back then. Mm -hmm. um, but it's there, it's still an African-American cultural center. And so when we were driving, when people were riding their bikes by and stuff like that, people were coming over and shaking our hands they a lot of people in the neighborhood started coming out of their houses and helping to pull the weeds oh, and awesome. and to thank us and so like i i i that's where what i like to think of tucson you know like people are 
open to it and they're they're more open now that the conversation is happening and it's not as much of a clash as you see like on the news or maybe in bigger cities so that's I mean that sounds like a place that you would want to be <laughs> yeah that, that people want to have the conversation and are actually banding together that's, right that sounds awesome and and speaking of uh speaking of places you want to be you guys have openings there right yes <laughs> we do <laughs> so to highlight you you brought it up before and i don't know that a lot of people maybe a lot of people haven't heard of it but why don't you explain what the boneyard is and oh okay cool so the boneyard is the um the where all and it's not just the air force where all oh. the, the airplanes um, basically get retired here. So I think it has to do with the weather, obviously. Um, we're very dry. Other than monsoon season, things tend to, uh, which is very short amount of time of the year, things tend to stay pretty um, consistent here. And it's very good for preserving like the outside of these aircraft. So when any DOD aircraft is getting ready for retirement, they will pull its parts. So they'll bring it here, park it, pull its parts to be used for like other planes. Um, and then they'll, they will preserve what's inside or what they leave and cover everything with these like special covers. And it is literally, I don't know how big it is. So don't ask me that. Yeah. But it's just rows and rows and rows of retired planes. There's C-130, C-17s, there's um, every kind of helicopter you can think of, Navy, um, Marines, everything out there. And it is so cool, especially when you're flying over, um, because it is just miles and miles and miles of airplanes. There's, um, oh, wow. I, I want to say that I think it's, it's either Air Force One or Two that's retired here. And it's huge. And it's like right when you're coming up the the to the med group, you see it in the background. So that's pretty cool. Oh, that really? Cool. Yeah. I think they're building a new Air Force One, so there might be Air Force One. Yeah. Very soon too. <laughs> yes, that would be cool. And they do ceremonies for like big planes like that. They'll do ceremonies. Um, cool. They have um, tours too. So there's a whole uh, unit. It's called the AMARG unit that works that. Um, they're the ones that obviously go out there and take care of them, clean them off and do stuff like that. But they drive buses um, through there. And so you can come and they'll bring you to, because there's like old World War II planes out there. Mm -hmm. um, every airplane that, that when I say miles, it's miles and miles. And then they have at the end of it, um, the uh, Pima Air and Space Museum. And so like some of the cooler airplanes that are like well-known and especially the older ones they get put up there in the museum and then you can walk through and that's pretty cool they take you on a train tour through a little part of the boneyard as well man that's pretty that's really awesome that's like a huge i mean obviously that's kind of what we do in the air force that's a big part of our heritage that's cool it's yeah. really fair and you know, like you said you guys can get out there and do tours and stuff like that that's awesome tucson is the like I would never have expected it. My husband was really upset because we had um, Luke at our number one. Mm -hmm. um, we BOP'd here. And so we were trying to get closer to my stepson and he lives in Phoenix. 
And so he was like, oh, Tucson's small. There's not, there's only one freeway in Tucson and it's because um, they cut down on light pollution. There's a mm-hmm. big observatory in the mountains that are surrounding Tucson. Oh, and wow. so they do not want light pollution here. Um, so people complain like, oh, there's stop lights all the time because you have to take side roads to get anywhere in Tucson. But it is so beautiful. You are surrounded by mountains and they are close. And that, um, that Mount Lemon, which is the one that's right in front of the base, is the southernmost um, ski lift in the United States. So it's oh, the really? farthest south you can get and have a ski lift. So it'll be January timeframe, like 70 degrees here on base, palm trees, sunny. And you'll look up at the mountain right in front of you and there's snow all over the top of it. It's, awesome. And then the, the boneyard is just like big plains everywhere. It is such a beautiful place and people always knock it, but I love it here. <laughs> That's really cool. That I didn't yeah. realize that you guys had a ski lift there too. <laughs> yeah. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah, so get it on your list, folks. Yes. <laughs> Master sergeants, especially. If you really <laughs> Not until Whiteman gets theirs first. Come on now. <laughs> Come on. Come on now. I got to get one there. So what's but next you're for you? You're getting one. Well, we hope, right? <laughs> Do you say what's next for me? Yeah, what's next for you? Well... Um, so I, like I mentioned earlier, um, you know, my husband's enlistment, uh, came up mm-hmm. in March of this year. And so he went guard, um, just best, what was best for him and our family. My, my kids moved with him just due to all the COVID stuff. And so, uh, trying to palace chase, um, I put in two applications so far, um, just with the Manning in our career field and, from what I understand too, the COVID stuff has kind of put a halt to that. So um, I've gotten denied. So my goal is to transition to the guard, um, hopefully do for Charlie and the guard over at Scott. Um, yeah. And you, my KDAC on the outside as a civilian mm-hmm. in Peoria, Illinois, um, and then retire out of the guard. I, I hope it works out for you. It sounds like, you know, that's kind of, what you want to do, not just for you, but the family and everything. So I hope it works out. But one question I got to ask, so this is something you want to do on the outside, right? Yes. So why, why do you like this job so much? Man, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Um, Strong answer. uh, No, that's that's a joke. (laughs) Um, Honestly, I think it's so weird to say, but I feel like this is what I was meant to do. (laughs) It's it's funny that I didn't come into the military with this job, nor did I think that I would be doing this job. Um, But it just seems like such a good fit for me. I I love learning. and currently I'm, I'm staying with one of, um, one of my coworkers. Um, she's a, not an officer. <laughs> she's a contract, <laughs> she's a contract provider here. Um, okay. and, uh, but we sit and we, at night we sit and have conversations about just our career field. We're, we're watching nurse ratchet right now. Oh, that's and so, I just binge watched that uh, a yes. couple days ago super dark but it's really good yes. i'm on maternity has- leave folks I, I got a lot of time <laughs> <Maternity> <laughs> <life>. <laughs> but it, 
I'm not kidding. We probably stop it every 15 minutes and just go into these in-depth conversations about what's going on. And so I need a better roommate. My roommate roommate being husband, he's not interested in having those types of discussions about it, but you can can zoom in on these combos. But um, I think I love one thing I love the most about this career field is it's not just black and white. Like there's no, Hey, once you learn this, it's a checklist and you just do this you're constantly learning. And that's what I, I tell my airmen this all the time. Uh, I'm the sole KDAC here. And so when I'm doing training with them, or especially with my ADAP techs, when I'm talking to them, I tell them, I am not the end all be all. Like, I don't know everything. I'm still learning. There's still things that come up. There's, I'll look at the A that I know front to back and then read something and interpret it completely different now than I did six months ago when I read it. And mm-hmm. that sparks conversation and I learn something different. And so I'm, I love that I can continuously learn and that there's always, every case is different. And it's just fascinating to me, the human mind and the way people work and think and being able to help people is super humbling and super fascinating. Like it just keeps my brain going and I feel like that's just what I was meant to do. <laughs> It sounds like you get a lot of satisfaction out of it too, right? I do. I do. That's good. That's awesome. So I was just going to ask one of our, one of the questions we normally ask people. um, If you could reach back to, it sounds like you've had an awesome career and just like awesome mentorship along the way and everything like that. Um, But if you could reach out back to your basic training tech school self, um, any advice you would give that person um, coming up through, through your career? (laughs) Um, I mean, I, again, I think that everything's kind of happened in the way that it should, you know, the, I got a lot of feedback as an airman. I, I was very opinionated. I still am. I just have learned to use it to my benefit and not to my detriment. Um, and I, my, if Sergeant Sanchez is listening to this, she will tell you. <laughs> I used to get in so much trouble for my nonverbals. I'd be in meetings and just roll my eyes or, you know, and so, um, I would, I don't think I would go back and say like, Hey, don't do these things. Cause I think it allowed me to learn. And I, I, I'm here where I am now because of those things. Um, I think the biggest thing, I don't know. I really don't know. I, if I had to pick one thing, I would say I didn't learn really truly about what it took to be a KDAC until I was writing my case. Um, and I had great trainers, not, this is not to knock my trainers, but I wish that I would have gotten more in depth and asked more questions regarding like the core functions and what we were supposed to be doing instead of just going with the whole, follow this template, you know, SUAT writes the note or um, treatment planning was so very cookie cutter for me as an airman when I was first learning and I didn't learn about actual treatment planning until I was already a KDAC. Mm-hmm. Um, like what it should be and what it means. And so I, I wish that I would have asked more questions and really learned about what I was doing earlier in my career. Um, 
so I, I guess that's the, but even now it everything happens for the way it should so. yeah absolutely <laughs> yeah. I love your I love your outlook like you're such a positive like you it seems like even even though like how you talked about how you broke your hip and you know you got now you're in this career field um it seems like you always try anyway from the short amount of time I've talked to you in this lifetime um <laughs> is that you, you seem to always try and find that positive in and you know and then learn taking whatever message or what you learned from a situation like coming back from your deployment and not taking care of yourself and then how you've improved and things like that and I, I just think that's awesome thank you I appreciate that yeah and like you said I mean of course I think that's life right life is hindsight you know I wish I'd have known that I wish I'd have known that I wish I'd have known that but you wouldn't be where you're at right now or the right. person you are right now if you hadn't gone through that adversity or hadn't gone through that so you know like she said I think it's great that you continued that positive outlook um, we talk about a lot of things that we don't do that we preach but to me I think that's one thing that we absolutely have to do is continue to look for that positivity um, if we don't, people are going to see that in your face and your response and your actions. And it's going to be really hard to try to tell people things are going to get better. <laughs> yeah. If you don't, if you don't have that or, Hey, um, you know, this is, this will work if you do this or this will work if you've, if you've done that. So um, I think you've already all too answered one of the questions that we have uh, that we normally ask everybody, which is one of the hard, you know, one of the biggest challenges you've had in your career, but it sounds like the PT test is probably, one of that, you know, that challenge that you did overcome. So yes. I think, you know, I, I again, I, I, I've been on a few TDYs. I don't think we've met before this TDY or before the, uh, on a TDY in the past, but I, I've definitely enjoyed talking to you today and, Thank uh, you. you know, positivity is awesome. I hope everything works out for you. If it yeah. doesn't, hopefully we get to work together in the future. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. If you come to DM, <laughs> we use you. Well, hopefully they'll move you closer to your family. If you don't get the guard, maybe they'll at least, uh, you know, throw you closer. <laughs> yeah, but then I'd have to re-enlist, and I don't know if I'm yeah. ready to do that. <laughs> yeah. I hear you. I hear you there. We'll see. We'll see. <laughs> well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Folks, if you're listening, please leave a message. Uh, for starting cohorts so she can get back to you. Uh, if you. If you have a question for us, by all means, you can leave it in the comments below, but uh, you can reach out to her directly. She's on the, the mental health Facebook page as well. So thank you again, ma'am, so much for your time. I appreciate it. And that's it for us. Of course. Thank you guys for the opportunity. Thank you, ma'am.